Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah chapter six, we're starting a series called Forgotten Virtues. And that when we, when we look in scripture, we know that there um, are the fruits of the spirit. And we know that there is the character and the nature of God that he's forming in us. But I believe there's also virtues and values that we see in scripture that we need to build our life on. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about pursuing holiness um, showing honor, living humbly, and then just living with grit, you know, having a hustle mentality for the kingdom and, and not just for ourselves. I believe if we put these things into practice from a biblical perspective, our relationship with Christ will grow stronger. But then scripture is clear time and time again, as we grow closer to God and his word, that we're not just successful in a relationship with him, but we're also successful in every other area of life. And so that's, that's my desire. And so this week, we're going to look at this aspect of pursuing holiness. And it's not a word that's really used a whole lot, holy and holiness and being holy, pursuing holiness. It's not used a whole lot unless it's in a derogatory word, like frame, calling someone holier than thou, right? Um, a really good book, if you're, if you're a reader on this topic, is The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. It is a, like a 40, 50-year-old book at this point. Now, this is like my third or fourth copy because I just keep giving it away. And honestly, I didn't say this first service, but I'll say this this service. If you want this book, after service, come arm wrestle me for it. If you win, you can have it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, if you want this book, just let me know and I'll pass it to you. It's, it's a really good practical book on pursuing holiness, not from a pious perspective, but because of what God has already done. And so that's what I want to talk about today is pursuing holiness. And when we look at this word holy, it means like it's, it's kind of hard. It's almost like holding jello. Like, like what does it really mean? Has anybody ever tried to hold jello? It's like falling out of your hand. You can't really get a good grasp on it. And it's kind of that word, that, that way with the word holy. But when we think of holy, it means set apart. Um, it means pure. It means all perfect, all powerful, all good. And when we think about our God, that is what he is. And the word holy summarizes all of that, that our God is holy. We saying, you are holy, you are holy. And, and when we think of God's holiness, we have to understand the magnitude and the importance of understanding his holiness and him being holy. And, and Paul Tripp, who's kind of a modern theologian and pastor, makes this statement about understanding God's holiness, that without God's holiness, there is no moral law. Without God's holiness, there is no divine anger against sin. 
without God's holiness, there is no need for a perfect sacrificial son. There's no need for the crucifixion. There's no need for the resurrection. There's no need for Jesus's ascension. Without God's holiness, there's no need for a new heaven and a new earth. And so when we think about God's holiness, it's all that he is, that our God is holy. And I read this, this scripture from Isaiah chapter six back last summer, if you were attending, um, you may remember this when we were looking at um, growing in wisdom. And we know that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? And understanding how to fear the Lord properly and that when we see the Lord, when we see our God high and lifted up, that, that we know that, that he is all powerful and he is awesome in the the, the mindset that we look back and just say, God, I'm in awe of you as we were singing. But then we also talked about that our God is holy. And anytime I think about God being holy, this is, this is where my mind goes to this passage of scripture where the prophet Isaiah has a vision, um, an encounter with God. And we'll start in verse one. It says, but it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and his train filled the temple. And if you don't know, whenever kings um, overtake another kingdom, they would take the robe of the king that was defeated and they would tie it to the bottom of their robe and it would become a train. And so if you think of you know, the train of a bride's wedding dress that's flowing, following behind them. And it says that the Lord's train fills the temple, which means that, like where, there, wherever there was space, the Lord's train was because he has defeated every enemy that we could ever face. He is the most victorious. It says that the, the robe of his train filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings with two wings covering their face and with two wings they covered their feet and then they flew with two more. And if you've ever seen these images on you know the internet that's showing up where these people are, are recreating these images. These aren't things that we're gonna look at and say, oh, how cute. Like we see the little cherubim or whatever around Valentine's Day with the air. It's, it's not like that. These are massive, terrifying creatures. And this is what they were doing. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of heaven's army. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And then it says that their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And think about that. They're blasting down the road from our house where they're putting up another hospital or a supermarket. And when it blasts, my whole house just shakes. It's almost like an earth. Think of the sound being so loud as these seraphim are crying, holy, 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 that it shakes the temple. It says it shakes the foundation of the entire building. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal and he, that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips and he said, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. But as this, so, so as, as you're imagining what Isaiah is seeing, and he sees these creatures and they're yelling, they're shouting, holy, holy, 
holy, with such bravado that it's shaking the building. And they could have just said holy once, our God is holy. He could have just said it twice, our God is holy, holy. But, but when we're mentioning it three times, it is holy in some sense to the infinite. Like uh, there's no way you can fully understand just how holy, how pure, how perfect our God is. It would be like you and I, when we you know, have an encounter with this great football player or a great basketball player and we come back and we tell our friends, like we saw Giannis and he is giant, giant, giant. It would sound kind of weird, wouldn't it? It was like, you, you don't describe people that way. And it's like, I know a lot of times my jokes aren't funny, 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 even though I want them to be. Oh, you guys did way better than first service. I was a little nervous. I was a little, but, but to say things in a pattern of three ways to describe something just sounds weird. But when we say it about describing God, it doesn't sound weird because our hearts know, our spirits know that, God, you are holy, that you are holy, that you are holy. And our, our, our finite minds can't really wrap around that, that yes, he is perfect. Our God is, is all perfect. Yes, our God is all good, that he is all present, that he is all powerful. But that Using those words alone do not do his nature justice, does not does do his nature justice in, in how great he is, that he is holy. But here's, here's, here's the good thing about that. It's, it's in God's holiness um, when we come into his presence, and it's because of his holiness that even in our sin, God makes us holy. He makes us holy just by the nature of, of our fallen flesh and our sinful nature, we are to be separate from him. Isaiah understood that. When he sees the Lord lifted up and he says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips, of filthy lips, and I live with a filthy people. He understands that because of his unholiness and his impurity and his being unclean, that he has no right to be in the presence of such a holy God. And, and we would think the needed response would be for God to remove him from his presence because God is all holy and can't have anything unholy or unclean within his presence. But instead of God removing Isaiah for being unholy, says that a coal was taken from the altar, placed on Isaiah's lips, and Isaiah was made holy. See, when the holy comes in contact with the unholy, it doesn't make the holy unholy. But when the holy comes in contact with the unholy, the holiness is transferred to the unholy. And so when you and I come into contact with the creator, the holy of holies, our unholiness is removed. When we accept what Christ has done, our unholiness is removed. God makes us holy. Hebrews 10, let's read a few passages here. In verse one, it says that the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things that were to come, not the good things themselves. And it says the sacrifice under that system was repeated again and again, year after year after year, and they were never able to provide complete 
perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. And this system that's being talked about is the system that God put in place under the Old Covenant and the Old Testament to bring holiness and provide cleansing. And what this system this worship experience, religious ritual looked like is once a year on the Day of Atonement, Aaron or whoever was the high priest would take a bull and would take a ram and offer to God as a sacrifice to the Lord to cleanse himself and his family of his unholiness and his sin in his life and his family. So once he's done that with the bull and the ram, then he goes and they get two goats to offer as a sacrifice before the Lord for the remission, for the removal of the sin of the people of Israel and all of their unholiness. And then here's what they would do. They would cast lots between the two goats and one of the goats would become a sacrifice and the other goat would become a scapegoat and released. And I could just imagine what's going on in the goat's heads as they're watching the priest cast lots. It's like, please, please don't pick me. Please don't pick me, please. And so one is offered as a sacrifice and burned on the altar um, for the forgiveness of God's people and their sins. The other, the sins are placed on what is called the scapegoat and they are led out into the wilderness to wander carrying the sins of the people and that is to represent as far as the east is from the west, I have removed my sins from you. Now I'm thinking if you're the priest and you're supposed to, you know, one of the, one of the temple workers and you lead the goat far out into the wilderness but then six months later, he comes wandering back. I'm gonna have words with that priest. You didn't take him out far enough, right? But that is the broken system. And that's why he's saying it didn't work year after year. It reminded us, verse two, it says, if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. That means there would have been one day of atonement under the old covenant. It says, for the worshipers would have been purified once and for all times. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared, verse three, but instead those sacrifices reminded them of their sins year after year. And let's go down to verse nine. It's talking about God does not want the blood of lambs, the blood of bulls, the sacrifice. And Jesus says this, he says, I've come to do your will. And what Jesus has done is says he cancels the first covenant in order to put in the second covenant into effect for God's will. Listen to this guys, for God's will, for you and I, God's will is for us to be made what? For you and I to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. How often? Once. Once for all time. It's not like you write in your calendar the date of your salvation or your baptism and every year you relive that experience to ensure your holiness and your salvation. No, we, you and I, were made holy, how? Once and for all time. Not by making sure we check off all of our spiritual disciplines, not by making sure we attend church, not, not by making sure that we attend all the small groups, that we act right, we behave right, we speak right. That is not what made us holy. What made us holy was the final sacrifice of Christ. And so you, if you're here today and you've accepted the sacrifice that Christ made for you, regardless, hear me, regardless of maybe how you behave all the time, God has still made you holy. Do you get that?
You are holy. If you've accepted that, if you've accepted that gift, that sacrifice, you are holy. He's made you that way. But then he didn't call us just, just to be made holy. He calls us also to live holy. He calls us to live holy. He calls us to live holy. Now, I'm sure as I say that, there's all these ideas of what being holy looks like, how we should act, how we should behave. And I want you to understand living holy is not what obtains you holiness. It is a response of the holiness that you are, right? And if you think about the story of the prodigal son, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament, and, and for some of you, you may can relate in, in, in how you've experienced church life maybe, is that the son, the prodigal son, wakes up his dad one morning and he says, hey dad, give me everything that's mine. I want it. I want it now. I don't want to wait till you die. I want it right now. And so he leaves the father's house in that moment and he goes and he spends all the money and just on a like a ridiculous hedonistic lifestyle on, on women and, and gambling and booze and everything. And he spends all of his money and has nothing left. And he finds himself just trying to earn some money just by working for a farmer and he's feeding the pigs and he looks down. It's like even these pigs are eating more than better than what I am. And, it, and I love what the scripture says. It says that he came to himself and he went back home. He went back home to the father's house. And here's what happened when he got to the father's house. Actually, here's what didn't happen. When he got to the father's house, the father didn't look at him and say, son, you can come home only after you go clean yourself up because you stink. Clean yourself up, take a shower, get your life in order, then you can come home. That's not what the father said. The father did not say, I gave you all that money. What did you do with it? What did you do with this money that I gave you? Go get your money back and then pay me back and then you can come home. That's not what the father said. The father saw his son. He embraced his son as is. It says that he put a robe around him as is. It says that he put shoes on his feet as is. And then he put a ring on his hand that was a seal of the family as he was making him holy as he was, setting him apart back into the family. Does that make sense? The son had to do nothing. So you and I are made holy but then God also calls us to live holy, to live set apart, to live good, to live pure. And I'll say this, but he's calling us just to act like we are. To act like we are, not who's heard the term fake it till you make it, right? And like, we all do that sometimes, right? We're not feeling it, but we're gonna be positive. There is some truth in that. But God's not calling you to fake holiness. He's not calling you to fake being holy because he has made you holy in ways that you can't undo. But we are called to live holy from this point forward. And so what, is this, what does this look like? Let's look in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, uh, verse, verse 13 through 16. It says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. And this was the theme of an FCA camp. Anybody ever been to an FCA camp back in the day? No, just me. Okay, I was one of those guys. So I remember going to the, F, to the FCA camp, and that was the theme for the week. And it had like this, this shield of the FCA symbol, and, and the theme was 
prepare your minds for action. And that was the first time I ever heard of Carmen. Anybody ever heard of Carmen? Like back in the day, the champion. I, I, I like relived that, that whole like high school memory and went back and watched Carmen sing the champion. You don't know it, go Google it after service. You'll laugh a lot. Um, but I remember being so pumped up. I'm gonna go back to school because my mind is prepared for action. I'm gonna live with self-control. But it says this, Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. And that happens from time to time. Anybody, right? God removes you of anger. Your day doesn't go right. Your kids are acting up. Your boss won't listen. Your coworkers are yelling at you. You slip back. But God's calling us to live obedient and not, not do that. Don't satisfy your own desires because you didn't know any better then. Verse 15, but you must be, what does it say? You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. God's holy. He's made us holy. And for the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. Guys, that's a tall order. Like even reading that as a pastor, I'm like, gosh, you're calling me to be as holy as you are? Like, I don't know anybody that would say holy, holy, holy about me, right? Especially those who know me really well. They're like, holy, 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 how is that guy a pastor, right? It's like, how in the world? But that is a tall order that he's calling us to live. Um, Hebrews 12 says that we're to work at living a holy life. And it says that if you don't, you won't see the Lord. It says we're to work at living a holy life, um, but let me just continue to reiterate and listen to me. Pursuing holiness is not about attempting to earn salvation. That's done. We're made holy. Rather, living a holy life should be a natural overflow because of what God's done. It should be a natural overflow because of what God has done. If God has made you holy and you have experienced Christ, his transformative love, then there should be, listen, there should be some small, at least very small desire within your heart, within your spirit to pursue holiness. And there's times in my life where it's greater than it is others. But there's always a little desire. If there's not, then, then we need to, to, to take a look and take a survey and see the genuineness of our relationship with Christ. Isaiah 52 says to touch no unclean thing. Uh, New Testament says that our bodies are to be instruments of righteousness. And so how do we do that? Like, okay, everybody take a deep breath. Okay, I'm not saying don't enjoy life. Scripture calls us out of the world. He says, be in the world, but not of it. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm praying for these disciples, not that you would take them out as, as his last prayer for the disciples. He says, not that I'm taking, I'm praying, Lord, that you would take them out, Father, but that you would protect them while they're here. Um, we're to be in the world, not of it. We're not to allow the systems and the values of the world to enter into our heart. Man, there's, there's a lot of good stuff. Hey, listen, listen to good music. And I will tell you this. I was never one of those youth pastors to tell my kids only listen to Christian music, okay? There is good music that is not necessarily Christian music. The last time I checked, Jesus didn't die to save music. He died to save people. 
and we need saved people making music that doesn't necessarily get played in the church, but it has a positive message and it's going in the hearts and ears of other people outside the church, right? I'm not saying don't enjoy the good things. Go to a ball game, go to a concert. I'm going to see the Grizzlies next month. Let's go finally making it, right? Um, I'm not saying don't enjoy those things, but it's when we allow the systems and the values of the world to enter our heart is where unholiness can creep in. Does that make sense? Paul, or um, <clears throat> Derek Prince, um, Derek Prince, who is a 1900s British pastor, he says this, it's when we allow the unholy to touch our hearts on purpose that we put ourselves in, 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 in jeopardy. When we allow the unholy to touch our hearts on purpose. And he even said this in the message I was listening to, it was so convicting. He was like, why would I present the Holy Spirit inside of me? Why would I purposefully, why would I purposefully present the Holy Spirit inside of me to be exposed to ungodly things? And we forget that sometimes, that the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And so when we are purposefully exposing ourselves to ungodly things, we are exposing the Holy Spirit. Now, the holy is not tainted by the unholy, but the Holy Spirit within us, Scripture says, grieves when we expose ourselves to that. And so how do we look at this? So, so moving forward, pursuing holiness in two areas. I think we pursue holy hearts and holy hands. Holy hearts and holy hands. So as we pursue holy hearts, what, is it, what does it look like? Well, that's, that's, that's the spiritual side. That's the emotional side. That's, that's the mental side. That is our, that is our thoughts, that are our ideas. It's, it's the things that, that, that we take in. Um, Proverbs 4 says to guard our hearts above all else. And we look at the holy hands. I just use that to represent the physical, the physical side. Like, like be careful what we pick up, what we consume, what we eat, what we carry with our hands, the relationships that we hold, the values that we hold. We, we, we're careful to have holy hearts and holy hands. And I love the psalm that says, David led them with integrity of heart and skillfulness of hands. And here's the truth, though. Like, the longer we walk with Jesus, the smaller and the deeper the things will be that he deals with us in. The longer we walk with Jesus, the smaller the things are going to be and the deeper the things are going to be that he deals with us in. And can I just be honest? That's harder to deal with. <laughs> like, there are things that, that I'm working with the Lord on, or rather, he's working in me on, that's a little harder to give up and deal with than when I was following Christ early on because it's smaller and it's deeply rooted. The longer you're walking with Jesus, the smaller the things are gonna be. And the scary part is because they seem small, they seem insignificant. But we know, like it says in Song of Solomon, that it's the, the, the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. When I was training for my half marathon, it was the little rock in my shoe that got me at about mile 10, right? Not the big boulder. It's, it's the little things that God wants to deal with us in. And, you know, even for me, things, things that didn't used to offend me when I was, you know, walking with the Lord early on um, now do. And it's, it's, it's funny. Like, there are things that didn't used to offend me that I thought were okay, but 
the longer I walk with the Lord, they offend me. Every once in a while, I feel nos- like a little nostalgic and a little bit gangster. And so I will pull up the 90s playlists and throw in a little outcast, a little Tupac, you know, just bumping in my system. Rode. My kids are like, Dad, roll the windows up, <laughs> right? And, and I'll get through about a song, maybe a song and a half, and I'm just like, I, just, I, I can't listen to it. There's nothing like wrong with it, but it's the Holy Spirit inside of me now because I've been walking with the Lord. These little things grieve me more than what they used to. And that's going to be different for all of us. And, and, and that's part of the reason we do this 21 days of prayer and fasting at the beginning of every year, because there are some good things that can creep into our life unknowingly that's crowding out the God things that he's wanting to do in our life. They're good, enjoy them, but don't be controlled by them because that's what happens in my life is sometimes the good things that God wants for us to enjoy unknowingly, they start to control me in different areas, scrolling on my phone, too much coffee, all these things. Or maybe there's a craving that you have that God is supposed to be fulfilling but you're using a relationship, you're using you know, television, news, you're using these good things to fulfill a craving that only God should be fulfilling. And so over the next 21 days, I just wanna encourage you, like if there's something that God's pointed out that maybe you're enjoying too much instead of him, then take some time and remove that. And it may have to be a commitment every day. The first time like, I went on a Daniel fast, which was all fruits and vegetables, and I don't eat fruits and vegetables, like just unknowingly, I would go to the candy bowl and get a almond Hershey's and pop it in my mouth. And about two chews in, I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm supposed to be a pastor. I'd go and spit it out and I would start again. And what that's doing, it's like that's disciplining my mind and my body. Because here's what I also know is true, is if we're unable to let go of something, to release something from our hands, it has a grip on our heart. And so if there's something, is like even now as, as I'm talking to you, it's like, well, I, I probably should give up this or I should give up this, and you're negotiating with yourself about it, that's probably something you need to lay aside for a short period and seek the Lord in the process. Right? And even, so, so maybe you're like, Stephen, I don't know about all this fasting. This is all new to me. Um, don't even fast. Just take 21 days and just seek the holy. Just seek the holy because as you seek and pursue the holy, guess what he does? He solidifies holiness in you, okay? And here's why we do this. We want holy hearts. We want holy hands so that we can be holy his, completely every area that's what he wants you like that right all the alliterations right so that he can you can be holy his completely because we said this right in between worship and the message we are his we need to remind ourselves that we need to act that we need to walk into that Romans 10 verses 1 and 2 and it's a familiar verse be transformed by the renewing of your mind offer your lives as a living sacrifice but I love love the way the message puts it um, as we get ready just to kind of land here because it's so plain and it's so like conversational and it's like everyday language so lean in and listen Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he says so here's what I want you to do with God helping you I want you to take your everyday 
your ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and I want you to place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Embrace what God has done for you. Embrace that he has made you holy. Embrace that he is holy. He's made you holy. And our response to that is laying down our everyday, walking around, going to sleep, going to work life, placing that before the Lord as a sacrifice. And he says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it. It's not that everything is bad. There's things for us to enjoy, but don't get so well adjusted that you fit into it without even thinking, that you begin, that we begin to take on the values and the systems of this world without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond. Get that. Didn't say respond. How? It says respond quickly recognize what he's asking of us, recognize the path that he's wanting us to go on, the direction, the changes that he's wanting to make in our hearts, and then respond quickly. Unlike the culture around you, which is always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, and we end here, God brings the best out of you. God brings the best out of you, developing you into maturity. And so when he says, calls us to live holy as he is holy, It's a desire to bring the best out of us because he is the best in us. And as we pursue that, we become more like him and less like the world. And our response to that is is to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, our everyday, what we eat, what we drink, our relationships, our conversations, even our jobs. We, We lay that on the altar of the Lord and say, God, this is yours. You've made me holy and I'm pursuing you with all that I have. This is yours. And so here's what we're gonna do to, to, to go into the new year. Because we'll act like this is the first Sunday in January as we start this 21 day of prayer and fasting. When, when you guys came in, our uh, ushers were at the door with um, communion elements. If you did not receive those, would you just lift your hand and they'll bring you those um, really quickly. We've got just a couple right here, guys. Thank you so much. Um, going ahead and stand up. Uh, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go into a time of worship and taking communion together. And I want us um, to pursue holiness, not in a response to earn God's favor and blessings, but as a response to what he's already given us. And so there may be some areas, even as I've been speaking with you, that God's highlighting. Um, Lean into that. Surrender that to him. And I promise you, like, you'll be amazed at what you hear from him and see him do in your life. Um, And so we're going to take communion. It's going to be at your kind of leisure as they're singing just so you know what communion is and last communion joke we double checked it this one is good okay I checked every bag so this is just juice it's all good Um, but if you don't know ask somebody just not me Um, um, Jesus's last night with his disciples we call it the last supper but the disciples didn't know it was the last supper 
they were having just another Passover meal as they always have had. And he passes the bread and he says, this is my body that is broken for you and eat it um, in remembrance of me. And then he passes one of many cups that night and he says, this is my blood that is poured out for you. Drink it in remembrance of me. And it's the sign of the new covenant. Um, And so when we do this, it is to remember that in God's holiness, that through Jesus, he brought us in and made us holy and made us clean. Um, Scripture also says that we're not to do this um, without acknowledging sin that's in our life. And so before you take this, just just surrender any area in your life, in your heart that you need to to God. Say, God, just point out anything that offends you. Show me what I need to do. So here's what we're gonna do. Um, Paul says that we are to take our ordinary everyday life we're going to consecrate that to the Lord uh, and remember the sacrifice that he's made. And so just as they're singing, I'm going to pray just as they're singing at time of worship, you're going to sing along and, and just in conversation with God, what do I need to take care of? And then in gratitude, God, thank you for the sacrifice of your son, the breaking of his body and the pouring out of the blood. And as you feel led by the Holy Spirit to take communion with your family, the friends that are around you, So, Father, we just come to you this morning, and I thank you so much for your presence that's been here. Um, Thank you for your word that is doing a work in our heart, making us into the image of your son. And, God, we come to the table and celebrating the sacrifice that has made us holy. You've brought us into your presence, and we now can stand before you, faultless, without shame, and without blame. That when you look at us, you don't see our sin, you see the sacrifice of your son. And so God, as we worship you, remind us of who we are in you. Remind us of the promises that you've made. But then call us to a conviction to follow you to a greater degree.